emotions were seen as irrational and like, let's keep these out of the work because they're going to hurt the work. But the problem is, one, that's impossible to do. (laughs) You can't just turn (laughs) off people and make them robots. And two, if you try to manage your emotions that way, that is when emotions lead to dysfunctional effects. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. I don't need to tell you how stressful the creative process can be, but what I can tell you is how to manage those negative emotions to get you back on track. I started thinking about this topic when I had Seth Green on the podcast a few episodes ago, and he mentioned how governing his temperament was his biggest creative challenge. So I hit up Michael Park, who's an assistant professor of management at the Wharton School. In our conversation, Michael gives key strategies for how we can all better recognize and handle stress to become better creatives and leaders. Well, hi, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here and thanks for inviting me. No, of course. And so, you know, before we dive into it, I just want to get a sense of what you do at the Wharton Business School because your resume is quite impeccable. And you know, <laughs> I reached out to you for a reason about this topic. So just to kick things off, I'd love it if you can just give me a rundown of, of what you do at Wharton. Generally speaking, I research and teach on leadership and teams. And I try to help organizations identify those factors that empower employees to be more creative and proactive in their jobs. Um, So going beyond the bare minimum to kind of contribute value to the workplace. And that's kind of hard to create environments where everyone wants to do that consistently. And more specifically, kind of why I think we're talking today is I often look at the emotional effects in the workplace and how that impacts things from like creativity to group dynamics to managing conflict. And these emotions are often the undercurrent that sort of can drive motivation, make people uh, get upset or and actually drive innovation. Oh, yes, we are indeed going to explore these things because <laughs> I brought you on to the podcast because not too long ago, I had the actor and producer Seth Green on the show. And of course, you know, you know him from his many roles in film, Austin Powers, you know, Can't Hardly Wait, just so many films and also, you know, show Robot Chicken. And I asked him what his greatest creative challenge was. And this is what he said. Frankly, it's governing my own temperament. Mm. Like realistically, you get so many things hurled at you that are out of your control. Mm. and remaining zen about the job that has to get done (laughs) and the unemotional reality of facts when i can stay in that place everything works great whatever it is whenever i am triggered or emotionally engaged in a way that is distracting that's the biggest challenge so Seth's challenge seemed right up your alley again which is why i reached out to you so definitely where do we even start Like, where do we start to unpack all of this? Definitely. And it's a great question. It's a great topic. And I think you highlight the correct word, which is unpack, because I think there's two levels to to separate right off the get-go, which is um, kind of managing your own emotions in the creative process. Like something I'll talk about is like emotional regulation, emotional intelligence. That's really about your own. And I think that his quote is really speaking to that. But we often do creative work with others, right? And there's this whole group dynamic about managing the emotions of the team. 
And especially if you're a leader of that team or, you know, one of the, the main influencers of that team. And so, you know, we can talk about both those separately. And I thought because his um, quote speaks directly to kind of managing your own emotions through that creative process, maybe that would be a good place to start if that sounds good to you. Yes, please take it away. You're the expert. So, <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of work on something called emotion regulation, which is about how do you kind of change your emotions so that they're more productive for your tasks at hand? And a lot of times that's more of this like positive energy that, you know, that Seth's talking about or this Zen state. Mm. Um, you might've heard of this called as flow, right? And that's kind of this enthusiasm you get where you meet the optimality between challenge and your confidence to kind of master that challenge. And so you're absorbed because it's challenging, but you also feel really engaged because you're rising to the occasion and just kind of flowing. And so we try to put ourselves in those states, but we know creativity is really difficult. It's uncertain. There's doubt. There's confusion. There's market feedback that's telling us our ideas aren't great, you know, and we need to go through all those ups and downs and those negative emotions. And so how do we stay sane? How do we keep our temperament, especially when things aren't going well? So I think there's two main strategies that we find in the research, which are, again, connected to this ability to regulate your emotions. And one, the most common is sort of like in the moment or when you're experiencing those, those negative feelings or that frustration, anger, confusion, doubt. And that is cognitive reappraisal or what we also refer to as reframing, mm -hmm. right? So the classic reframe is like taking something that you're overwhelmed by or anxious about and then saying, oh, this is an opportunity to grow. This is an opportunity to challenge. I know. And that works much better when you do that to yourself than when someone else does that for you, right? <laughs> That's a good point. That's actually a really good point because even even because it sounds so hokey and a little cheesy, but if you're telling it to yourself, I think that does make it a little less yeah, less so. cheesy, less corny, <laughs> or like usually it's like your boss and saying, "Hey, I want you to do all this work," and just think of it as an opportunity to grow, which is like you kind of roll your eyes and like, "Sure, thank you for that." But it, when you're telling yourself that, it does tend to be pretty effective, and so. Um, I have some other examples of this reappraisal that can be helpful. So for anything that's frustrating, difficult, or stressful, there's a few things you can try to do to reframe it. So one is recognize it. So the first and foremost thing that there's been work on um, what's called affect labeling or emotional labeling. And literally just by taking a second to recognize, hey, I'm, I'm kind of anxious right now, or I'm, I'm stressed right now can actually reduce the impact that that emotion has on you and kind of allow you to regroup and refocus. Um, and again, you know, Seth was talking about centering, like breathing, that can do it as well. But also having that dialogue in your head or even saying it out loud can be the first step. The second is um, to validate it. So a lot of times what we try to do when we're feeling negative or stressed is we try to fight it. And we say things like, don't worry. Hmm. and I've done this before. Why am I getting upset again? I've done a thousand podcasts. Why am I nervous Stop again? Stop yelling at me, Michael. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That? Yeah, so I figured you could relate to some of those, oh. those internal dialogue. 
And really what you're doing is creating what's called a secondary emotion. And that judgment actually fuels the flame to make that negative emotion more pronounced. And those aren't actually really useful. It actually can make it worse. Mm. And so a more successful approach is to validate, is to make sense why you're anxious. Well, I, and usually it comes down to because you really care. So if you're upset, angered, or anxious, it's because you really care. And that caring as that source of that negative emotion is useful and it makes sense because you value it and it's showing you something that really matters to you. And so I think if you stop and try to recognize that, then that also can kind of help deal with the emotion um, more effectively than judging yourself. Hmm. And then the third is the actual reframing. So, you know, it's kind of a three-step process where reframing is recognize it, validate it, and then reframe it. And these common reframes are the learning mindset. So finding, hey, this is an opportunity to grow. So instead of focus on worrying about whether you're going to be successful and the outcome, you know, whether you're going to win, focus on, hey, this is another opportunity for me to like really practice, try to prove my craft, to challenge myself. That can be useful. Find the humor in the situation. Another one is to envision past successes. Hmm. Like, look, I've been in a similar situation in the past. And let me just call that to my mental state, my mental reframe, be like, oh yeah, I did pretty well last time when I had to do something similar, right? And then the final is like process focus. So maybe it's very overwhelming, like, oh, we need to create a new episode or I need to create a new show or podcast. Well, why don't you focus, break that down into much more simple tasks and reframe it that way. It's like, okay, I just need to do this one thing now. Mm -hmm. um, and so those, those are kind of the common reframes that help us deal with sort of stressful, frustrating, or difficult things. Um, and so do those resonate? You know, should I, do I need to clarify any of those or add to it? Feel free to, to let me know how that sounds. Oh, no, those are great. No, those are wonderful, actually. So yeah. So you recognize it, validate it, and then reframe it. Got it. Absolutely. Nice. Um, and so that's kind of the reframe, but that's more for like the activated negative emotion. So like when you're stressed or mm -hmm. upset or frustrated, but for like, when you just don't feel like engaging in your craft, you know, like, oh, I don't feel like I have the energy today. I'm feeling pretty tired. This just seems like a grind. Right. There's a couple different twists for that problem. And one of the most um, effective reframes is to connect that tedious task or that's something that you don't want to do and find the higher level value or goal it connects to, hmm. right? So maybe there's something like, for me, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these reviewers or these um, editors are asking me to rewrite this another time. And it seems tedious. So then the higher level is like, you know what? I really believe in this research. I really want it to make uh, the most sense for people who are reading it. And so I find that kind of higher order value that really can kind of get you motivation. And so that's, that's something when you're just not feeling like you want to engage in, in your creative work. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one because I feel like that, that actually speaks to something another guest was talking about, uh, Ellen Pompeo, and she was, her biggest creative challenge was, how do I inject life? How would I inject something new and something that I've been doing for 18 seasons? I mean, she's been on Grey's Anatomy for so long that she feels like, there's a part of me that just gets yeah. exhausted by it. Like I'm tired of it. So how do I make it feel new? How do I, how do I, how do I connect with it again when it's something that is 
basically like another arm at this exactly. point. Like you just get so used to it. So yeah, that's actually, that's a really good, that's a really good point. Yeah. And I think in everyone's job, you're going to be doing work that is routine or tedious and maybe not be your most fun. Every single job has that. And so reminding yourself like why that's valuable. And it's usually because that work is needed to accomplish something that you care about much more, mm. right? Which is like serving a customer or helping your teammate out or, you know, making progress on your own personal goals. When we're stuck in the weeds, sometimes we need to stop and remind ourselves of that higher order goal that that is related to. So what have we learned so far? Reframing your stress and frustration during the creative process is one way to better manage your emotions. And after this quick break, Michael explains his second strategy, learning how to recover. All right. So the, the second kind of really useful uh, strategy for managing your own emotions in any work, especially creative work, is focusing on your recovery. <laughs> and I like, to, I like to use a term called emotional fitness. And I have this analogy where I talk about fitness. And if I ask people, and I'll ask you, Casey, so what do you think about when you think of really fit athletes? Like what comes to mind? What kind of characteristics, what kind of elements or someone who's like really fit? I'm curious, just what comes to mind if you can kind of tell me that? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, dedication, like routine, like the fact that they got so fit is because they put in the hours to, they train essentially. And it's something you have to, you know, be on a schedule. If you're that, if you're that fit, then that means you have some sort of regimen that you're sticking to both, you know, exercise and diet. There's something that you're sticking to. So yeah, that's what I think of. Absolutely. And you're even getting into some of the more specific strategies. So well done. I think when I, when I ask that, usually what people often say are things like power, strength, endurance, <laughs> like how, how far you can go when we talk about fitness, right? How much you can push right. without taking a break and so forth. Well, there's another aspect of fitness that we often overlook and that's recovery. So, mm-hmm. you know, I used to be an athlete, but I'm very unfit now. And the way I present this and when I'm teaching is like, especially like 18 to 20 year olds who are like really in great you know, shape and have, have all the youth at their disposal. But I say, look, youth doesn't always equate to fitness. So, you <laughs> know, not, not disparaging your students. I'm sure they are very <laughs> fit, but you know, <laughs> that's true. What I usually say though, is this story is like, look, if we went out to a track and had a hundred meter race, I'm pretty sure I could keep up with most of you and even maybe win. But you all could probably do another one within 30 seconds and I would be in a stretcher, you know, not being able to, to run again for another day or two because I am so unfit. And that's where recovery is like, how quickly can we bounce back when we hit a setback, when something's upsetting us? Do we spend hours ruminating on it? Do we not sleep well that night, which affects our productivity the next day? Do we you know, have the routines that you were talking about, the diet, the sleep that allows us to focus on our recovery. And, you know, something that books like the power of full engagement and um, researchers have looked at too, is like, do we schedule recovery time in our day? Mm. Right. Because the way we tend to to do, and, and even Seth talked about that is you fill up your schedule so much where you have no time to recover and that actually affects your engagement in the task. And so these can be something as simple as like making sure you have breaks 
in your day. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I've been trying to do for myself for, for years now, but I still have not been able to is actually schedule things that I know really fill me up, such as like playing music or, or talking to a friend I haven't talked to well during the day and not just saving those like, oh, I'll get to them eventually in the weekend, right. but actually being really strategic about how you manage your recovery and your energy um, is so critical to, to the process. And one other quick tip, um, which I've heard, you know, some of my students say is like, never do our meetings, always do 45 minutes. So then you always schedule that 15 minutes of like break time before your next activity or task in the day. Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and so we recovery time really should just be anything that restores you. It should, it's kind of, it sounds like it's a really personal thing. So I guess like, yeah, so it's really personal. I mean, obviously the classic ones are the things you talked about. So like sleep, I think sleep is so important and there's been so much literature and research and kind of a new kind of like the sleep generation of if you really need to get sleep. So exercise is key, you know, any of those contemplative practices, whether it's yoga, meditation to give your mind a break, journaling, any of those focused activities breaks. So those are the classic, but everyone's different, right? And everyone, you know, you may prefer, I think Seth and you talked about liking to just sit quietly outside or something, right? Where others might want to go for a walk or listen to a podcast. I think the key is like doing, being very intentional about it and planning it into your days. Whereas a lot of times people make the mistake of only planning tasks, only planning when they're giving to their work or others and not planning receiving activities such as taking care of yourself. And so that that's something that really helps with managing emotions mm-hmm. because what that does is that increases your overall capacity to be resilient, to reframe, to you know recover after a setback. Because when you're depleted, when your energy is low, when you don't have recovery, it makes all those other strategies we just talked about really challenging to pull off. And one thing I think is really important to talk about is how these lessons and advice, how this applies to leaders in a company. Because I think yeah. it's one thing to you know recognize your emotions and and go through all the processes that we've been talking about. But I feel like for the longest time, the conventional wisdom has been not to share your feelings in the workplace, not to say like, I'm overwhelmed or I'm anxious or anything like that. And so, you know, for leaders, like how, what goes into creating an environment where people can share their feelings and yeah like what goes into that i've just literally published on that on that topic which is teams that have more emotional open environments and more authentic environments where people feel comfortable to express their feelings and you know deal with them are more creative and what we found is that they elaborate ideas and discussions more and don't let those sort of negative feelings bottle up and, and lead to disengagement within the team. And so it's a really key question. Some of the advice I give is have the courage to deal with emotions of your team members, because in the past, you're right. It was sort of emotions were seen as irrational and like, let's keep these out of the work because they're going to um, hurt the work. But the, the problem is one, that's impossible to do. <laughs> like yeah. you can't just turn <laughs> off people and make them robots. And two, if you try to manage your emotions that way, that is when emotions lead to dysfunctional effects. Mm -hmm. However, if you consider them as another data point, as another feedback point, right? And especially in creative work, 
where we're struggling and trying to deal with novelty. And so we all have these intuitive reactions to, I like that. Yes. And they've done research on this where they found that like they've studied feedback and a lot of the feedback and creative work is like emotional laden. It's intuitive. It's like, oh, that really resonates or that, that excites me or I, I don't get that. That confuses me. Right. I, that's not going to work. And people have a hard time articulating it in like cognitive understanding because it's that novelty that we're dealing with. And so what our prediction was and what we found is that environments that allow that type of communication to come out and also problems are often tied to like negative feelings, right? I'm frustrated because we still have this problem and we're not fixing. Well, that can lead to creativity if we allow that person to share it and then try to resolve that emotion, try to resolve that problem. And so kind of our, our analogy was like, let's use emotions as information and not be afraid to deal with them. And I think, you know, strategies to doing that is inviting feedback, inviting input, not cutting people off, certainly not judging people for their emotions, but being curious about maybe why people are, are feeling that way. Things like, hey, can you elaborate your feeling here or your thoughts here? Can you share more? It seems like, you know, this might be kind of a, a problem that's been upsetting you. And, and, you know, those types of those asks and those uh, sort of nudges can really go a long way to getting good dialogue in teams. Oh, wow. Okay. So to recap, really just a matter of, you know, first of all, like not like recognizing your emotions, like stopping and when you're feeling something, just even saying like, okay, wait, I feel this way. Cause I think I'll speak for myself. One thing that I'm kind of guilty of is like, I'll, I'll feel something and I'll know it, but I just don't stop to really sit with it. I just kind of chalk it up as like, all right, yeah, I'm feeling anxious right now, but that, that's because I have a lot of to do and I don't really stop and really sit with it for a moment. And I think when you sit with it, then you can then begins the process of like, like you said, like, you know, recognizing it, validating it, and then reframing yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that, yeah. Oh, and then having that emotional fitness, like baking in that recovery time, which I think is such another really good point because I am not good at that. <laughs> we <laughs> at are all. not good at that. <laughs> at all. Oh, man. Okay. So, I mean, is there any other tips and advice that you can give us for, you know, Kind of channeling, channeling are the the inevitable emotions that we feel when we're when we're creating, when we're working, and n turning it into a positive, like letting it letting it fuel our creativity as opposed to holding us back. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's maybe one or two themes from kind of the, the discussion we said today, which is like, I think a lot of times, both from what we we grow up culturally, and it, I think it is changing a bit, but what we grow up culturally, what we see is people really kind of try to like fight through emotions and put them aside. And I think the analogy works with your own work too. Like if you're anxious and you just try to work through that, like the emotion is still going to be there. So maybe using that to kind of inform your work, why am I anxious? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm forgetting something or maybe there's another way to go about this or maybe I'm worried how they will react or maybe I can rethink about this a different way. And so just using it there. And then the same thing with the teams and the leaders, right? So it might be uncomfortable to have someone who, who kind of gets upset in the team. And, and we, we, you know, you've been in those meetings where maybe everyone just doesn't say anything, it's quiet, and then someone just sort of avoids it and moves on. But like, what if instead of that, which could have lingering effects, 
maybe just try to deal with it. Maybe try to say, oh, let's try to bring some attention to this and maybe we can resolve it or maybe we can meet offline and talk about it. And I think having that courage is kind of a key point there. And then just the last thing with leaders, something we're seeing in creating these openness environments and these safe environments has a lot to do with leaders being vulnerable mm. at times. And again, it's not something where you probably want to say every day, like, you know, I'm really struggling today. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and, there's uh, limits. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's certainly <laughs> limits, but at key moments and occasionally sharing a time where maybe you failed, sharing that, yeah, you have tough days too. And you make it makes you more relatable. And I think leaders sometimes have this impression that they have to always be positive and they always have to sort of be resilient. But the downside is that then that kind of conveys to your team that that's what they have to be. And we know no one is like that. No one's perfect, right? So mm-hmm. I think there's these key moments where leaders can take have the courage to have a little bit more vulnerability. And that should go a long way to opening up teams more to be more willing to share in that realm. You are definitely the right person to call for this episode, Michael. <laughs> thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. God, my, my, my notepad is just like full right now. So <laughs> that's always a sign of a really good conversation. So thank you again, Michael. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Casey. It's a great podcast. I really love the theme and it's great to see the work you're all doing. So thanks so much for inviting me. As always, thank you so much for listening to Creative Conversation. Make sure you rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And I'll see you next week.